five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about marketing and the CFO today. And I've got a lot to say on this, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but this gives me more ammunition to my hypotheses about CFO relationships. <clears throat> so let's get over to Tom Fishburne. What the, what's the marketing ROI? <clears throat> and so this woman says, what's the ROI of our marketing? And then this other guy says, why do CFOs always ask that? ROI is not the best metric. It's, it's too short-term focused. There are attribution issues. It doesn't capture indirect revenue. What should we look at instead, the woman asks. Random comments I find on social media. <laughs> oh, so at Can, I think that's how it's pronounced. I, I just saw a show where they went all in on how to pronounce Can. I thought it was Con, but it's apparently Can. Um, at the Lions conference, MasterCard CMO Raja and CFO Sachin uh, gave a joint talk on CMO-CFO relationships called Happy Tension. Okay, and that's uh, you can get that by clicking on the link uh, and see the video uh, in the show notes on the WDMA.org just after the show. It's about the first thing I do. Um, and if you, it's in the member, members only, so you have to at least subscribe, which will also keep you informed of upcoming events. If we have any, uh, we don't email unless we have an event. Excuse me, I have a sneeze coming on. There we go. It's shocking that less than 40% of finance people, so 30-something percent of finance people, think that marketers can make sound commercial decisions. <laughs> but this is reciprocal. Less than one-third of marketers feel that finance people understand marketing and that they are making decisions based on knowledge. As a result, neither marketing guys, neither marketing guys know what the finance people do, nor finance guys think that the marketing people really know how to make proper decisions and hold themselves accountable. Now I did a I did an interview with Alex Safranis and um I talked about the CFO that I'd heard about from one of my best clients ever. But I went around Namoa, which was big mailers, or I, I found the big mailers, and I found the board of directors, and I asked because I wanted to give a talk on testing. I think testing, not testing per se, but heuristic modeling, the modeling, the direct marketing process that lets us get smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter, which nobody does. <laughs> Almost nobody. I mean, the great direct marketing companies do it, but even this this was one of the so one of, one of the feedback was some one of the one of the people I talked to was the was the director of marketing at a uh, one of the oldest catalogs in America. And I said, "Do you test enough?" And he said, "We really don't." And I said, "Well, why not?" And he said, "Well, the CFO says that either A or B in a test wins, and whichever one wins." The other one has less profit and actually reduces the overall profitability of the mailing. So our profit is lower because of testing. 
And I said, but how do you know which one's going to win? And he said, exactly. And so overall, long term, the testing builds this reservoir of information, which helps us get smarter and smarter and smarter. But the CFO thinks that the marketing people should be able to figure out what is going to win without having to actually put it in the mail. And in defense of that perspective from the CFO, I've been, uh, I've been fired from a number of clients. And when I found out why, uh, it turned out it was back testing. Musician's friend told me this. Um, I had won 11 different tests against eight different mark modeling companies. And um, the last one was against the UCLA faculty. I won by 321% in a, in a uniques test, which is a fairly good way to compare modeling, modeling uh, techniques. And, uh, but then they fired me. And so I asked, you know, why? And one of the board members at Musician's Friend asked why. And, and the answer was that we did a, we did a, back test. And a back test means that we take someone's hypothetical model and we compare it to what you were going to put in the mail. And the hypothetical model had more lift, more differential gain than the actual model that you submitted. Now, the problem with that is that when I start a model, there's really good gain and really a lot of nonsense. You know, about 80% of the stuff I see in the initial model is just complete silly. It's correlations, and the more data you have, the more correlation you have. And in fact, if you had enough, if you had enough digits of pi and you compared it to a random string of equal number, like let's say 30 billion characters of pi, um, you would find long strings of, of, of exact match numbers. But... They would be totally meaningless, you know, a random number generator versus pi. No meaning at all. But you'd get, you, the longer the string, the better correlation you'd get. And so you could say that our hypothetical match was better than the match in re the real world. Well, okay. And so I got fired for that. And a year later, another consultant called me and said, you know, what happened? It, musician's friend and I said well they had a back test and he said well the results have gone to garbage you know but you know did they hire me back no and that's the problem here the problem is it's not just the metrics it's not just the measurement it's that finance doesn't understand the process and marketing doesn't want the accountability I believe and I've said this over and over and over Alex said he didn't think it was the case that CFOs thought marketing people were <laughs> commodities and that CFOs didn't want testing. He said in his experience, CFOs did want testing. And I've worked with a lot of CFOs. I probably, mm, no, I can't say I've worked with as many CFOs as I have marketing people. Uh, but a lot of times it's the CFO or the CEO that brings me in and says, do my marketing people know what they're doing? And most of the time they know sort of, but a lot of times they don't have the metrics to find the incremental lift. And it's not as simple as people think because marketing may be doing lots of testing. They may test this. And we, I had a conversation just this past week um, and uh, with, with Joseph Katz. And he said, yeah, one of his clients, they want to test this. 
And then the next time they want to test that. And then the next time they want to test another thing. And that does not build a heuristic system. That just gives you information on any given day. And it's like they say in the NFL on any given Sunday, one team can beat another. Right? That's not the question. The question is, if we do X, will Y happen? What, can, what knobs can we turn? What variables can we find that increase the incremental value of our, of our marketing? And I would guess that most marketing people don't even know that this is possible to do. You know, in my, in my uh, Love Sack case study, Patrick Santangelo, very smart, maybe the smartest client I've ever worked with, or one of them, um, he said, you know, we're, we're, we, don't, we don't think we should do the catalog anymore because why should, we inf- why should we mail to people who already know what we sell when our biggest challenge, according to our research, is name recognition and product understanding. Uh, we would be better off informing the marketplace of what we do. And I said, Patrick, that's an excellent point. I, I have to agree. That makes total sense. Would you like to know... If that's true, is it worth mailing your customers? And he said, well, how could you know? You know, and he'd come from a packaged goods company, that a big name brand. And, uh, but, you know, he didn't know about the possibilities in direct mail. And I said, well, the way we do this is we would take the people that we are planning to mail and we would carefully select some of them from the best the middle and the worst, all the way down. First we model, then we pull them out. Otherwise, you get mostly just bad names, and it's no surprise that the, the mailed quantities beat the bad names. That's not a, that's not a surprise. You got to have it. You got to have it. You got to build a, a good sample, a good homogeneous sample of the total mailing. But it's called a holdout test. And I said, what we do is we don't mail 10% of, of the mailing. And then we keep track of how they do in the next few months. And it's only two months or something like that to see the impact of the mailing. And he said, well, that sounds interesting. Let's try that. And what we found was that uh, for every catalog dollar we spent, we got about $10 of sales and we got about $3 of extra profit from those customers compared with the customers we didn't mail. So it was, you know, 300% EBITDA. Because we took it into account overhead and shipping and gross margin and gross, you know, gross cost or cost of goods. And uh, so then we kept on going with the mailing for a while. And then we learned that we could use that to test other offers. We learned that we could drive traffic to the stores. Uh, they learned uh, and we modeled prospect mailings. And we did a lot of things using that laboratory of mail to test the incremental benefit of the things we were doing. And it worked extremely well. And then they used those, those, the things they learned uh, for, for their digital and even their retail. And the, the revenue per store uh, dramatically increased. And they went from 50 million to 100 million in about three years, which is wonderful. Then they went public. So the, the tension here, and I've got three articles that I could talk about, but they talk about the tension and it, you know, it's kind of a quaint thing. It says we need to communicate better. I don't think that's really it. I mean, yeah, you need to listen to each other 
the CFO and the CMO. But the truth is the CFO holds the purse strings. They will cut your budget if they think you're just spouting nonsense. And most of marketing jargon is nonsense. Okay. If they don't, if they don't think that you understand making a dollar at the end of the day, that marketing needs to increase sales. And when you say that ROI is short term, well, yes, the ROI of one individual mailing is short term. That's true. But we can measure downstream profit. We can measure the return on investment over time, which is the payback period, right? What is it? Six months, a year, 18 months. We can compare customer segments over that time and say, well, here's the payback period. I don't think that it makes a lot of sense to talk about lifetime value with uh, CFOs because that's not the way they think. They think, you know, if we're going to make an investment on our website or we're going to make an investment in our warehouse, more likely, they say, you know, if we can, if we can improve the productivity 20%, okay, that gives us a payback of eight months or something. Okay. What, what depends on what the cost is, of course. But that's the way they talk. That's the way they want to know the answer. And it is available to marketing people if they knew what they were doing, which they generally don't. And so it, the onus, in my opinion, since the CFO and the CEO hold the purse strings to marketing, if you want to increase your marketing budget, if you want a bigger budget, a bigger staff, more impact in the marketplace, give more speeches at, at uh, con, then you need to very carefully embrace the accountability and say, let's look at incremental immediate revenue and downstream EBITDA, return on investment, of our marketing. And if there isn't any, then you should be fired. And that's the downside risk for you. But you'll learn a lot. You know, I learned a lot from Norm Stern, uh, one of my, one, the owner of one of the companies. Uh, it, it was called Sales Guides, and then they needed a new name for their retail line, and I came up with Norscott, because Norm and Scott, Scott was the son. I thought it sounded outdoorsy, and it you know, now it's called Norscott, but in those days it was called Sales Guides. And um, and Norm was hiring a CFO. And he, and he came to me after interviewing somebody and he said, that CFO has, uh, he told me the first thing, that he'd never been audited by the IRS. And he thought that was a badge of honor. But Norm said, I know that means that he's never taken any risks. He doesn't understand investment he doesn't understand that you know deductions can be disallowed but there's not a real danger and you should always you know you should always be a little aggressive and if they audit you well you should have your ducks in order he said so i'd rather hire a cfo that has been audited a few times and knows that it's not the end of the world you know it can be managed and but over the long run it's better to it's it, it, it's 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 not the best for the company to be safe than sorry and just always overpay your taxes so that your CFO doesn't ever have to worry at night. That's just nonsense. Norm was a great guy and I learned a lot from Norm. So in the same way, the CFO does, should understand return on investment. Any CFO has to, right? And if he doesn't, you go to the CEO who who is getting... He has incentives, whether you know it or not, for growing the company. Almost all CFOs I've ever known have incentives for growing the company. Owners sometimes are more cautious. You know, George Moser said to me, he said, you know, at this point in my, in my 
in owning this company, you know, risk, there's not a lot of point of risk. I'm pretty happy with the size of it. Norm said that when we doubled the size of the company. He said, well, this is, you know, about as much as I'm comfortable managing. And that's okay. But he can also sell it. And so that, imp and, and, and growth multiplies a corporate valuation. So if you want to sell a company, grow it for a little bit and keep it profitable and you will make uh, maybe five or ten times more money than you would if you just sold it while it's been going flat for decades. Anyway, too much CEO talk. I'm going to end with this. Um, here's an article on only one in five CMO, CFO relationships are collaborative. That's uh, for Alex. Um, and then I was going to end with this one, Marketing Elites, Have They Lost Touch with the Public? It's an excellent article by Gordon Young, who basically says most marketing people have their head in a bubble or in the sand and don't even understand why people don't all believe the same thing about the world. And again, it's because they believe, in general, that they can shape the world with marketing. And they don't believe that the market should tell them what they want. They believe that they can tell the market that their product is the best, that their product makes you feel great, it gives you euphoria, and therefore the market perception and the valuation should go up, which is complete nonsense, but it's an excellent article. Uh, have a good day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.